for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Bars mean different things to different people. Often they serve more than just what's in the glass. They're places for communities to gather, where new conversations are fostered and new flavors experienced. They provide opportunities for us to learn about our neighbors, what they drink, what they eat, who they are. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. In contemporary Houston, the promise of the bar as community fulcrum is being realized. Right there, right now, patrons are connecting locally and thinking globally, and acting morally, particularly when they drink agave spirits. Restaurants and bars can be this intersection where we're able to understand where we're headed as a community. Producer Shanna Farrell explores how tequila and mezcal can be catalysts for diplomacy. A bar is a place where people come together to celebrate, to mourn, to unwind, and to form friendships. It's where people go in search of new experiences and new ingredients. Bars are part of communities and are often a reflection of them. They can be catalysts for change, for conversation, and at their best, for understanding. In Houston, there's a group of bars that take a community-minded approach. As the most diverse city in the country, this matters. According to the 2010 census, it's home to 2.3 million people, with over 40% identifying as Hispanic. It's estimated that 400,000 of those 2.3 million people are undocumented, the majority from Mexico. In a time when political tensions are high, bars have the potential to unite us. This happens when they provide a comfortable stool to perch on, friendly staff to guide you through your night, and great drinks, often made with tequila or mezcal. The influence of Mexican and Mexican-American culture has long been a part of Houston's identity. This is evident in its food alone. Taquerias line the streets and Tex-Mex signs dot the sky. Queso, enchiladas, and margaritas are on menus all over town. And Houston's love of the margarita is strong. In fact, Texas leads the U.S. for tequila consumption, coming in just second to California. Much of this is attributed to the popularity of the frozen margarita. Here's Alba Huerta, a local bar owner who has lived in Houston since she was six years old. My name is Alba Huerta, and I am the owner of Jula Bar in Houston, Texas. For as long as we have had Tex-Mex, we've had a margarita culture. We're the home of the frozen margarita. We've been freezing margaritas, shaking margaritas, we've been doing all kinds of things to margaritas for decades. Sean Beck, who is the beverage director of Hugo Ortega's Restaurants, also remembers this. I can't state this enough, but back then when we opened up, frozen margaritas were everything. Sweet and sour mix was everywhere. I always thought the only reason people drank frozen margarita is because they couldn't taste the bad tequila in there and it got them bombed quickly. In 2002, Chef Ortega was at the forefront of changing Houston's perception of what Mexican food is and what it can be. He did this by creating a fine dining restaurant that highlighted cuisine from different regions of Mexico. He enlisted Sean to develop the beverage program. 
So at the time in Houston, there was really nothing like Hugo's. First, we, we wrote a wine list, which no one had ever seen wine and Mexican food before. And then I was absolutely adamant we would never do a frozen margarita. And we're going to change people's perspective of what Mexican food should be and that what it's capable of, like pairing with wine. And, and along that same front, that meant we were going to craft a pretty heavy uh, agave program. Hugo's became a hit, and the food was well-respected. It took a bit of work for Sean to get the cocktails there, though. He used fresh juice as a way to make their drinks more accessible to the frozen margarita lovers. So I began just every weekend going out to local markets or, you know, there's a great Mexican market, Canino market, and finding fresh produce and just playing around with it and create cocktails. Literally, like, we were literally making everything to order and shaking it to order table side. Then we had to have constant engagement with people about why we weren't doing frozen margaritas. And then along came Bobby Hugel. Hi, I'm Bobby Hugel. I own several bars in Houston, Texas, including Anvil Bar and Refuge, The Pastry War, and Better Luck Tomorrow. I was born in Houston. I'm a sixth-generation greater Houstonian. My family was German immigrants that migrated to Richmond on my dad's side and have been here for six generations, and they were rice farmers. My mom's family grew up in Indiana and then moved to Houston about three generations ago. Bobby spends a lot of time thinking about the city. He knows it intimately from his days spent on a truck delivering pianos all over town when he worked at a music store as a teenager. I worked with my best friend growing up, Kevin Floyd, who was my opening partner at Anvil, and I could help read the map when they were driving. And so I know Houston exceptionally well. Like before, everybody just used Google Maps. I feel like I have this blueprint of the city just stuck in my head. And I think that was kind of unique, too. Having grown up exposed you to so much of what Houston looked like, you get to see just the diversity of what exists here in Houston, and it's incredible. It's a dense yet sprawling city, identifiable by its maze of highways. Cars are virtually essential, and bars are destinations. We're the largest city in the country without zoning, so there is no control or, or methodology for how Houston evolves and emerges, and I, and I think that 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 has created that, that notion of we will decide what exists here because we don't have any zoning. So there are very few strips um, or, or areas where you would even say, yeah, walk up and down that street and find somewhere to eat. I mean, there's a few places in Houston that you could say that about, but for the most part, it's a driving city where everybody gets in their car and goes from one place to the other. Bobby opened his first bar in 2009 with the lack of zoning in mind. Anvil Bar and Refuge is a cocktail bar in the Montrose neighborhood, which is a mix of residential and commercial buildings. It's a short walk to Hugo's, where he and his staff, including Alba Huerta, who worked there for a few years, would come in to eat and drink. So Hugo's is two blocks away. It's just one of my my favorite restaurants and um, I think, you know, the most consistent restaurant in Houston. Bobby has been working with Agave Spirits since his early days of bartending in college. When he opened Anvil, he was interested in carrying a wide array of products, including tequila and mezcal, Hugo's and Anvil worked in tandem, encouraging their guests to explore Mexican spirits. People were going in there and having dinner and, and engaging tequila and mezcal and, you know, and then coming over here. And I think that that combination was also like something that really helped us kind of get people interested in tequila and mezcal here in Houston. For those who are unfamiliar with agave spirits, here's a quick primer. Mezcal is a distilled liquor made from several types of agave varietals, which is a succulent plant. They have thick, fleshy leaves and require little water to survive. They can take years to mature. Traditionally, the agave heart, or piña, 
is cooked in a pit in the ground, often with the leaves, giving it a smoky flavor. It's only made in nine regions of Mexico, which are officially recognized by the Mexican government as a mezcal-producing domain. Tequila is a type of mezcal. Tequila is only made in the state of Jalisco. It's made from one type of agave species, the blue weber, named for its bluish leaves. Now, back to Houston. When Alba Huerta began working at Anvil in 2011, she remembers slowly trying to push the envelope to get people interested in drinking agave spirits, particularly mezcal. So in, in mixability, in like cocktail, it was always a, a little bit of mezcal for a little bit of touch of smoke or a little bit of mezcal for, a, for an additional backbone of alcohol, like where something might need a little push to move forward. It was minimal. When we started to use mezcal as the base ingredient for cocktails, it was many years later. One of the ways that they would encourage their guests to drink mezcal was to engage them in conversations about it. They wanted to explain the process, fostering understanding about a spirit with so much tradition. Alba, who was born in Mexico, felt a close connection to mezcal, making it easy for her to chat with guests about it. I was born in Monterrey, Nuevo León, and then we moved to Houston, Texas in the, in the early 80s. There was this misconception of things that were Mexican were not good. But when you're talking about mezcal, like... The, the amount of work and labor and, and intent and focus that goes into making artisanal mezcal. Like, argue with me that this product isn't worth it. Let me tell you how long it takes to grow this agave. The patience and fortitude that goes into making mezcal, you know? And so there was this pride of product and the way that I spoke about mezcal. Around 2013, mezcal slowly started to catch on and become more popular. Timing was everything. One thing that was really important that was happening at the time that Mezcal started coming to the United States is I think that people were getting over their, their ethnocentric notions of, of Mexican food. Bobby's interest in agave spirits was also deepening. He began to travel to Mexico, visiting distilleries to see how tequila and Mezcal were made. Everything kind of changed when I went to Mexico for the first time. And I went with David Cerro, who owns tequilas in Philadelphia. I just had an incredible experience going to the different distilleries, but really just being in Mexico in general and being in a community that like, I felt some familiarity with having grown up in Houston. And so that was a great experience just to have culturally and then also just being really intrigued by the, the process of distillation. In 2010, Cerro formed an advocacy group called the Tequila Interchange Project, also known as TIP. Members included bartenders, academics, lawyers, and agave spirit enthusiasts. They advocate for the preservation of sustainable, traditional, and quality practices in the agave distilled spirits industry. Bobby was one of their first members. He tried to take us to distilleries that had maintained traditional practices, and then we also visited you know, a, a few distilleries that were kind of bulk tequila distilleries that didn't even sell products that were made in the United States, like they were just producing well tequila from Mexico. And then I took that model for how we engaged the tequila industry and applied it to other spirit categories as well. One of the ways that TIP engages with the tequila industry is by exploring how agave is grown in Mexico. For tequila and mezcal in particular, we, we really like to investigate the agricultural side because I agree with you that, that spirits are an agricultural product. That's really, really difficult to navigate when it comes to tequila and mezcal. There's, you know, the agricultural model for, for how blue agave in particular is farmed in Mexico is so ambiguous that it's hard to say these are the people that were responsible for growing this product because essentially how it works is you've got 
you've got something that really resembles sharecropping post-Civil War in the South that is how agricultural products are, are farmed in Mexico. Many of the agave harvesters, or jimadors, are from poor parts of Mexico. They migrate to Jalisco for better-paying jobs and work that is more consistent than what they can find in their own communities. And those people have migrated to Jalisco to work in those fields because the people who previously worked in Jalisco have migrated to the United States, which is a problem because generations of knowledge about how agave should be farmed and maintained have been lost to migratory patterns that are related to the United States. The same is true for mezcal. You know, the next generation of the mezcalero has migrated to the United States to work here instead of taking on the the next generation of mezcal knowledge from his father and continuing to produce that. So the impact of of migration to the United States on agave spirits in Mexico is is pretty dramatic. In 2013, Bobby opened the pastry bar in downtown Houston. Alba was their opening general manager. The bar is named after the 1838 conflict between Mexico and France. The clash started after a French pastry chef living near Mexico City claimed a group of Mexican army officials had damaged his restaurant and demanded that they pay him for the restaurant's repairs. The bar at the Pastry War serves agave spirits from family-owned distilleries, most of which Bobby and Alba have visited. They were explicit about brands they would and would not carry. When you think of tequila, does Jose Cuervo come to mind? What about Patron or Don Julio? Well, the pastry war doesn't carry any of them. The bar team leaves many big brands out because of how they make their products or how they treat their workers. We knew people would just ask, can I get some of this? And I was like, how do we handle this issue? You know, because it's a big space and we get really busy on Fridays and Saturdays. And we had on the chalkboard that we don't carry these specific brands. I think when you write it down, it says a little bit more that we made an intended choice to not carry this product. And we probably have some explicit reasons for it. Instead of making this off-putting for guests, the team chose to turn this into an educational bar experience. They use their menu to explain how tequila and mezcal are historically made and their commitment to carrying products from distillers who are firmly devoted to tradition. They list where, how, and by whom each bottle was made. The team pairs this approach with a fun, inviting space and a lively playlist. Think Cumbia by the Mexican Institute of Sound and Bombay by El Guincho. They also offer tequila and mezcal flights to encourage people to taste the spirits neat and use margaritas as a vehicle for them to try it in a cocktail. And we know you like margaritas. After the break... We hear how commitments to fair labor practices and consumer education help grow new markets for agave spirits and foster opportunities for cultural exchanges. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them Gravy said hey. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lodge Cast Iron, a family-owned business in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, has been making cast iron cookware since 1896. Lodge Cast Iron Camp Dutch Ovens are the first choice for campers preparing meals over a fire. Their skillets and griddles are perfect for searing steaks and roasting vegetables at home. And professional chefs from Atlanta to Los Angeles stock their kitchens with Lodge seasoned steel skillets and griddles. No matter what or where you cook, Lodge makes pots, pans, even griddles, just for you. For over 100 years of meals and memories, and for Lodge Cast Iron's support of this podcast, we say thanks. In order to ensure that their bar staff was engaging guests in a hospitable way, Bobby and Alba invested time in their training and education. The first two weeks of staff training were super intense. We also had subject matter experts come in. So your staff has to be equally interested to be able to retain the, the information and be able to talk about it and draw from not just you, from, from guest speakers, from their own reading, from their own interest, to be able to speak on behalf of it. And let's talk about the specific region, which I think is really important, and the differences in these regions so that we can say that this is this specific community in Mexico and what their beliefs are. In the five years since the pastry war opened, Agave bars have popped up all over the country. As people have become more interested, tequila and mezcal are essential parts of a quality bar program. Bartenders from around the country have been traveling to Mexico to visit distilleries and learn more about Mexican culture by way of spirits. I've seen this happen all over the world. Like it hasn't just happened in Houston with agave spirits. As more people have become interested in agave spirits, producers big and small have caught on to the importance of reciprocal travel. Many come to the U.S. to do trainings for bar teams and welcome bartenders to visit their distilleries in Mexico. One of these small producers includes Ray Comparo, a mezcal brand made in Oaxaca. Their team travels to parts of the U.S. where there is a big market for agave spirits, including Houston. I am Vicente Sanchez Parada. They make friends, uh, Ray Campero and La Herencia de Sanchez, and their mezcal is being made in Mexico, in the state of Oaxaca, in a small community called Candelaria Yegole. Vincente is traveling with his brother, who makes the mezcal, and their distributor, who is based in Austin and serves as his translator on this trip. Hey, I'm William Scanlon. I've got a little import company called Heavy Metal. Start off specializing in importing agave spirits from Mexico. I ask how Vincente has seen American interest in mezcal grow over the past 15 years. Over the last few years, they've noticed that people have become a lot more interested in wanting to discover and learn more about mezcal because it's you know from Mexico. Have you seen more Americans come to Mexico to learn about tequila and agave spirits? They as a brand have only been around since 2012. Uh, and over the last few years, they've noticed 
more and more people coming down. So, you know, over the last few years, uh, the mezcal has been distributed throughout different parts of the United States. And with that, you know, more and more people are reaching out, wanting to come out and see what the mezcal is being made. Vincente says this is bartenders, liquor store owners, and tourists alike. He estimates that 30% of people who visit their distillery are mezcal aficionados who want to learn more about production. When they come down and visit, are they also more interested in learning about Mexico as well? Very much so. You know, people are coming down to learn about mezcal you know, and Mexico. Mezcal is very much part of the culture. As Vicente mentioned, you know, Mezcal is really an artesanía, which would be like Mexican folk art, but in a liquid form. So it's very much part of the culture, and, and people are coming down wanting to learn a lot more about Mexico and what's going on. Sean Beck has also noticed that there's been an increased interest in tequila mezcal-related travel to Mexico, particularly among bartenders who have the ability to turn their bar guests into enthusiasts. Now when I go on a plane to Oaxaca, I literally will hop on the plane, I'll look around and I'll go, Bartender, 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 bartender. And I can literally count. For bar operators like Sean, Alba, and Bobby, it's important to create an environment where everyone feels welcome. They've created spaces where many of Houston's residents feel comfortable going, not just affluent white guests. One of the things that Bobby is most proud of is when someone from Mexico comes into the pastry war and tells him how at home they feel. His focus on the spirits opens the door for neighbors to meet and for conversations to be fostered. When we opened the pastry war, one decision that we really, really made that I think made this point well was that we were trying to not open a cocktail bar. Cocktail bars are about, let me create something in front of you in the same way that that people appreciate a restaurant and a chef's perspective on food. We called it a mezcaleria because we wanted the focus to be on spirits. We wanted to serve people tequila and mezcal. And I think that that's us saying that we want to put these families that have made this. We, we would like you to get to know them and know their products and understand this spirit. We're de-emphasizing ourselves and saying, please engage this person through this bottle. And, and hopefully that's what's come across. And we need people to treat mezcal as a cultural product and not a commodity. Navigating these issues to create opportunity for cultural understanding is more important each day especially when thinking about the future of Houston, whose population is becoming increasingly diverse. Here's Sean again. I think you have pockets in Houston where they are terrified by the changing demographics and they have retreated to their little sub areas. But I think overwhelmingly, or the majority, especially young people, they love the vibrance and the scope of it. Bobby thinks about this in terms of being a bar owner. Now... I think that we're motivated so much more by how do we how do we build something that responsibly engages our guests every day and, and means that to our staff members. And I just feel so much more pressure to do that. And by responsibly engaging guests, it becomes easier to unite communities. But I do think that restaurants and bars can be this intersection where we're able to understand where we're headed as a community I feel like my job every day is not really to create a space that I own or is reflective of my personality, but instead I feel like all of these obligations every day to make sure that we value the time that people choose to spend in our places. So the next time you head to your local bar for a cocktail, ask your bartender some questions about what you're drinking. You may learn something new about your drink, the tradition behind it, or your neighbors. 
Shanna Farrell of the UC Berkeley Oral History Center reported and produced today's episode. Shanna's the author of Bay Area Cocktails, a history of culture, community, and craft. Gravy thanks Blair Hobbs, Bobby Hugel, Alba Huerta, Sean Beck, Vincente Parada, and William Scanlon. Gravy's theme music is by Wendell Patrick, and our donor music is by Jazar. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA content is Sarah Camp Milam. To learn more about today's episode and review a list of music used, visit our website, that's southernfoodways.org. While you're there, consider clicking the donate button and making a tax-deductible contribution to fund our documentary work. Your financial gifts make SFA oral histories, films, and this podcast possible. Thank you for your support.